we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. So we have been on a 13-week journey through the first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And like me, at the beginning of this series, you're probably thinking, we're not going to do all of Mark. Um, there's so much there, and there is so much there. We're not going to get to the cross. How can we not finish Mark and get to the cross and the resurrection? Well, let me say, hopefully at the end of this series and reading the first three chapters and studying the first three chapters, you've realized, my goodness, we probably could have spent months and months and months just in those first three chapters. But we have skipped along our way in these first three chapters, and we have explored the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? After all, that's the purpose of the gospel, to be a proclamation and herald good news. So who is this person, Jesus? We've taken a look at his mission. We're going to do that again today. But why in the world did Jesus come? What was his business? What was his kingdom like and is his kingdom like? And then we've taken brief looks at his method. How in the world is Jesus going about inaugurating and breaking his kingdom in? to earth for all eternity. And hopefully you have enjoyed the ride. It's been meaningful for you as you have sought to apply some of these truths in your life or even see them in your life as the Spirit of God is working those things out in you. Uh, and today we are going to land and finish the series by looking at a very interesting little scene. But let's just remind ourselves where we have been up to this point. At the beginning, just at the right time, John enters the scene. John, the cousin of Jesus, the one foreshadowing the Messiah, the Son of God. And he came preaching uh, a sermon of repentance, calling the people of God to move towards God once again and forsaking your sin. And he would baptize them as a sign of their repentance. And then Jesus came onto the scene, and Jesus affirmed the message and calling of John, and in fact, he insisted, John, you must baptize me, and John said, no, I can't do that. I'm not worthy to baptize you, but Jesus said, I must insist because I must become the perfect son so that you could have my righteousness, and so John baptizes Jesus. Jesus breaking into our world, entering into our wilderness, the, our brokenness and rebellion. He began to teach with authority, unlike anyone had ever heard. No one had experienced the teachings of Jesus the way that he taught, because he was speaking and teaching the very words of God as if they were his own, because they were his own. And he would cast out demons and heal the sick. And every region and town that he would go to, he would do those incredible works as only the Son of God could. And he was proclaiming the kingdom. He was saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like when I come in all my fullness. This is what it looks like. And he was declaring, look at these signs, me healing and me casting out demons. Don't you see who I am, that I indeed the Messiah, the very Son of God? And those signs that Jesus did, the works that he did, called all of us to repentance, right? 
And he was calling the people to repentance, move towards God again, because I'm, I have come, and God's kingdom is coming. We know that the religious elite along the way were deeply offended by Jesus' teachings and work. When they heard the teachings of Jesus and they saw the things that he did, they were offended and concerned that they were undermining their own authority, making them look bad. And two, they felt like Jesus was undermining the very law of Moses, that he was twisting it or doing away with it. But Jesus said, no, that's not it at all. In fact, Jesus would later say, I haven't come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill the law in my life and in you. That would be his words to the Pharisees. He would enter those moments of conflict when he could have walked away, but he entered those moments of conflict, and he questioned, uh, he questioned how they understood and interpreted the law. After all, he would say, don't you know the law was intended to guide our hearts to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we seek to obey the Sabbath law, it should orient our heart to be free to honor and love God and love Love our neighbor as ourselves, but he says, "But you have twisted the law. You have exalted yourself in the law. You have made yourself center because of your ability to obey parts of the law. But the only thing that the law has done has exposed your self righteousness and your idolatry. And that's what the law has done for all of us. The law is good, but it exposed the very core rottenness of who we are." And that was Jesus' testimony by his life and his work and even in his confrontation with the Pharisees. That's where we've been. Jesus began his mission through teaching, through healing, casting out demons, but then we know he also expanded it by calling apostles. Continue what I've started. Multiply. Believe in me. Teach. Follow me. Obey me build my church. He didn't use those words. So with that in mind, let's stand together and we're going to read where we are today, verses 31 through 35 of chapter 3. Very interesting little scene. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You may be seated, and let's pray. Father, thank you for these first three chapters, and thank you for these handful of verses. Lord, help us to see what your son Jesus was all about, his purpose and his mission. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Wow, what an interesting little scene. 
You know, if we go back to verse 21 of chapter 3, we have those close acquaintances. Some would say that they were family. We don't know for certain, but I kind of have the opinion that these were close acquaintances of Jesus that thought that he was headed the wrong direction. You remember this, and they went to where Jesus was, and it was just overcrowded, so overcrowded uh, that Jesus didn't have an opportunity to eat along with his disciples. And his close acquaintances, likely folks that he even grew up with, said, we got to rescue Jesus. He's gone crazy. Well, that didn't work out too well, so in, in my opinion, I think what's happened is, is they went back to Mary and Jesus' immediate family and said, listen, he's only going to listen to you. Uh, we've got to send in the big guns. We've got to send in mom to rescue Jesus, and that's what we have going on here. Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. And you can kind of envision that this crowd, this, this house is crowded with people, which is now pretty common, and word trickled from the back, from, uh, from the back all the way to the front. And they just said, hey, Jesus, his mother's here. Tell Jesus that Mary's here. And it just kind of traveled along the way with the expectation that any good son would stop and listen and adhere to the requests of his mom, right? I mean, that's kind of culturally expected today. Everyone listens to mom. I mean, across the board, there's this kind of understanding that, you know, your mom is uh, valuable and that you stop and listen when she has something to say. And I imagine that this is even more so in the first century in Judea. And yet, we find Jesus not immediately responding to the requests of his mom. I imagine that this interruption of Mary and his brothers to Jesus was not unlike Mary's uh, encounter and fear about Jesus when he was a 12-year-old boy in the temple. Why did you do this? And he said, don't you know I'm about my father's business? Or it's not unlike when Jesus was at the wedding in Cana and uh, Mary grabbed Jesus and said, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And Jesus said, what do I have to do with this? And of course, we know he ended up turning water into wine. But what we see in these examples is that Mary is still kind of wrestling with, how is my son going to do what God's called him to do? And she would probably wrestle with, what was the, what's the clear purpose of, of my son Jesus? And it's clear that she didn't have a full understanding of what was going on. And so in this moment, let me be clear, Jesus is not dishonoring or dismissing his mom. That's not what's about to happen. But what is about to happen is that Jesus is about to teach something revolutionary about what it means to be in the family of God. Revolutionary. And so he takes this opportunity of his mom and brothers saying, your mom's here, you need to come, come to us. And Jesus recognizes that by this time, everyone in the crowd knows that his mom's right outside the door, his family. And he says, like he does a lot of other times, I'm going to use this opportunity to teach something revolutionary. In this case, about the family of God. And so Jesus begins to share and teach about what indeed is the family of God. And I would say it this way, Jesus is introducing his mission in a new way. He's saying, I am going about creating a new family of God. 
in God's kingdom. That's my mission. I'm creating a new family, God's family. And this new family has nothing to do with the flesh, but has everything to do with faith. This, this new family has nothing to do with who your mom is. It has nothing to do with your lineage. It has nothing to do with your ancestry. And it has everything to do with faith. Let me tell you, this was revolutionary. This was revolutionary. And it still is today. Because they would call themselves sons and daughters of Abraham. And it was that ancestry and lineage that kind of seared them to the kingdom of God. Who are you? Well, I'm a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus is saying, well, it's not who your great, 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 great grandfather is that determines if you're a son and daughter of God, if we're brothers and sisters or not. It's something all together different. And I think Jesus is saying here, as we put these other verses together, Jesus is saying, it's not about your DNA that was given to you by your mom or dad and your lineage, but it is about something altogether different. It is about faith that unites you into God's kingdom and makes you sons and daughters of God. Gosh, can you imagine what this did and how it rattled people? You mean to tell me that it doesn't matter that I'm a Jewish person related to Abraham, the patriarch? That that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things? That that doesn't automatically introduce me into God's kingdom? It, it was huge. It was huge. You mean to tell me that growing up in church and in church every time the doors were open don't guarantee me to be in God's good favor? You mean to tell me going to Sunday school all my life doesn't include me and guarantee me that I have a place in God's kingdom? You mean to tell me that, uh, that it doesn't matter that my grandmother was a holy and righteous woman that prayed for me every day? That doesn't matter? Is that what you're saying to me? And Jesus would say, yeah, all those things are beautiful and good if they're done in the right way. But let me tell you, they do not matter for you as whether or not you are in God's kingdom. They might have had an effect to, to posture in a place to where you could see me, but it comes down to faith. It comes down to faith. It's always been about faith, not the flesh. It's always been about that. We see, um, we see Paul... In the New Testament, it's the first time we see it in Romans chapter 1, 17. He says, the righteous shall live by faith, right? That was first written in Habakkuk, one of the prophets. And it's repeated other times in the New Testament that the righteous shall live by faith. It's never been that it's because of your great-great-grandfather or the things that you can do in the flesh, the works of the law. It's never been about what you can accomplish, or your ancestry. It's always been about faith. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to be in God's kingdom, if you want to be my brothers and sisters and mother, it has, has to have to have everything to do with faith. You must have faith. 
John 3.16, one of the most famous conversations in all the scriptures. We typically only memorize one verse of that, and I'm going to recite it now. John 3.16, right? I don't know what version you've memorized it in, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Faith. Faith. And it's that faith of seeing and savoring Jesus and recognizing who he is and what he's done and humbly coming before him and loving him with all of our heart and embracing his forgiveness and righteousness kind of faith. That endears us to the kingdom of God and makes us sons and daughters. What was Jesus' response? Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And so that first principle that we see in these verses is it's faith, not flesh. And there's another one that we've already alluded to in here as well. And that there, that there is a spiritual kind of DNA that we acquire upon faith by the power of the Spirit of God that begins to rewire who we are and leads to faith and leads to obedience. But this is um, an interesting question here. So he is speaking to a crowd of people some of which were probably religious leaders who probably said, Jesus, we've got obedience down. I mean, we go to, we're a part of every festival. We attend every sacrifice in the temple. We're in synagogue. We do everything that's required of us. We even do go beyond the written law, and we've added laws of our own. We know how to obey. And so what is Jesus talking about? So here's, here's an important question for us to ask. When is, diso- when is obedience disobedience? Is there a kind of obedience that actually is disobedience? Or say it another way. There is a kind of obedience that has nothing to do with God. When is that? When is that? Obedience is disobedience when it originates out of the self-centered, idolatrous human heart. It's disobedience when you love your obedience more than you love God. Wow, I'm proud of myself today. When your obedience has more to do with you making you feel okay about yourself than actually seeking, loving, and following God. There is a kind of obedience that sets yourself up as your own idol, self-righteousness. And Jesus would say, I need a different kind of obedience from you than the kind that you've been mustering up for yourself. If you want to be my brothers, my sisters, my mothers, you, you must obey the will of God rather than what you have been doing. We see this throughout the scriptures. You remember the encounter with uh, Saul and God and uh, 
Saul didn't follow God's commands um, in this interaction with this enemy, and yet he offered sacrifice at the end of this, uh, this battle with this enemy and overthrowing this particular small kingdom. Um, and uh, God comes back to Saul and says, listen, I would much rather you obey me than give me sacrifice. Yeah, I know you obey the letter of the law and honoring me by, by giving a sacrifice, but I'd much rather have a different kind of obedience. We see it uh, in the Old Testament. We see it in the people of Israel and his, their relationship with God. And in Isaiah, it tells them, listen, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. There's a kind of obedience that you do, that you speak about, and you show up to worship, but really, I, I'm not honored by that. I want a different kind of obedience that springs out of the affections of your heart. Jesus is looking for a different kind of obedience, a kind of obedience that has everything to do with the rewiring of our spiritual DNA. The kind of obedience that originates and flows out from the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's the kind of obedience that I want, the one that humbly comes to God in faith, and seeks to obey God because they understand who he is and what he's done, and they, they love him for who he is and all of his majesty and beauty, and they say, I want to align my life with the creator of the universe, and I humbly come before him, and I want to listen and follow and obey. Jesus says that's, that's a completely different kind of obedience than the one that says, look what I've done for myself. God must really love me because of my ability to obey. The truth is, left to ourselves, if we just look at this verse on the face of it, left to ourselves, we simply can't accomplish that, can we? We can't change our own hearts to love God in the way that we ought to love him. We can't just by sheer force of will become obedient to God in the way that Jesus wants us to be obedient to him. We can't do it. And we can't trust our lineage and ancestry to accomplish it. We can't, uh, we can't trust our good works to accomplish it. But the kind of obedience that, that Jesus is talking about, we just cannot do it on our own. And so the kind of family-making obedience Jesus is talking about requires something new, doesn't it? It requires something brand new, something like new birth, being reborn. Sound familiar? So let's read a little more of this conversation between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus. He says this, let me just read, this is very familiar to you. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Gosh, he, he got it. He got it. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's just another way 
of saying what he says in Mark chapter 3, verses 34 and 35. If you do the will of God, you are my brothers and sisters. You're in the kingdom of God. And here he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to be in the kingdom of God. You've got to take on a new spiritual DNA. There has to be a a rebirth in you in order for you to be in God's kingdom. And, And Nicodemus says, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And so Jesus is pointing to this reality. In Mark chapters Chapter 3, verses 31 through 35, he's talking about a new kind of kingdom. He's talking about a, a new kind of family that isn't of our own making, but is of the making of the Spirit of God in us. That we are reborn by the power of the Spirit into a new reality whereby we have become sons and daughters of God. A very real spiritual DNA, and not just in a figurative sense, but in a literal sense. Jesus tells us, I am giving you a counselor. And uh, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is a deposit in your life, a guarantee of the promises of God. And so Jesus is saying that by faith, the Spirit of God creates in us a rebirth, a new DNA, spiritual DNA. And it's that spiritual DNA, much like our our physical DNA that kind of communicates with the rest of who we are and and leads to how we're to develop and our characteristics and all of those things. In the same way, that spiritual DNA begins to shape our nature and character and obedience, and we begin to bear fruit that looks a whole lot like our brother Jesus. And we begin to look like family. That's what Jesus is talking about. I'm doing something new. I'm creating a brand new family. It has everything to do with faith, not the flesh. And it's that spiritual awakening, that spiritual rebirth by faith through the power of the Spirit that you will be able to say yes to God in your life that you'll begin to love him the way that you were designed to love him, that you'll begin to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, you can't do it on your own, but you can do it when I rewire your DNA, when you experience new birth. That's revolutionary, and that's good news for us, isn't it? Can you imagine if we were included in the kingdom based upon who our great-great-grandfather was, we'd be hopeless. And so in this revolution, in Jesus' mission, Jesus says, all peoples. It doesn't matter the kind of baggage you carry. It doesn't matter who your dad or mom is. Uh, those things don't matter. What matters is, do you see me for who I am? And will you believe in the Son? And will you trust in his work on the cross and the resurrection? 
come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and my spirit, my spirit will deposit a new spiritual DNA in your life so that you might bear fruit and look more and more like me every single day. That is great, great news. My prayer for us is that that is a reality, certainly for everyone in this room or if you're watching at home, that that's a reality for you, that you have that kind of faith in your life. Um, That you have an affection for Jesus, that you're seeking to follow him every day of your life, that you want to align yourself with him. Now, usually um, at week 13 of Reverse, we usually have a panel up here. I forgot about the panel. The value of having a panel, as Ethan and I discussed about this months and months ago, the value of having a panel is inviting people up, other than myself, the preacher, to talk about how God's word is having an impact on their life on how they're seeking to align themselves with what God is doing and how their faith is bearing itself out in their life, how they're bearing spiritual fruit, how that spiritual DNA is developing them. That's what we thought. That would communicate volumes. It's not just about the preacher. It's about people in everyday life who have a different vocation than I do, who are growing up in Jesus and looking more and more like him. But isn't Isn't that the invitation of God to us? That as a church family, as First Baptists, that that we just won't point to our heritage. We won't just point to what we can do really well, but we will say we are people of faith. And we have aligned ourselves with the Son and His mission That's who we are in all of life, not just on certain times of our life, but all of life. In the workplace, at home, I'm Jesus's. I'm a part of the family. And I'm working those things out in my life. I hope that's true of you more and more. I certainly desire it to be true of me more and more. And as the family of God, may we demonstrate what Jesus looks like as his spiritual DNA works itself out in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time in Mark chapters 1 through 3. Lord, help us to obey out of a heart that longs to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we seek to obey you out of a heart of faith that has been rewired by the Spirit of God. So lead us now, Lord, in our time of response. Help us to respond. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.